Good evening, church family, and don't forget Saturday, we need help, so if you're available Saturday, we're going to start moving stuff out, start getting stuff ready, figuring out some other things, what's going on um, with the whole process of just trying to find more space for the kids. Before you know it, we'll need more space for us too, I'm sure. (laughs) So look, let's pray. Father, thank you, Lord, for how you load us daily with benefits, Lord. Everything we need, everything, Lord, you desire for us to have, you give us, Lord. And sometimes it might not be what we desire, but, Lord, you give us exactly what you want for us. And so, Lord, we thank you for that. We thank you for the seasons of life, Lord. We thank you that you know us from the inside out. And, Lord, speak to our hearts tonight, Lord, and Let us see, Lord, how easy, Lord, the world could see us as, Lord, something ungodly where we are those who are godly. We're salt and light in a dark world. And Father, I pray, Lord, tonight, Lord, speak to us and show us those things, Lord, how one person can make a difference in the whole world for good or for evil. And so, Lord, we thank you, Lord, that we're on the right side. Lord, we know you, Jesus. We love you. We honor you, Lord. Pray for each person here, Lord. Keep us, Lord, in the days we live in. Keep us, Lord, and that we could hear your voice louder than all the other things that go around us. And so, Lord, I pray, bless your word, Lord, as David prayed. um, Let the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be acceptable in thy sight. O Lord, my strength and my redeemer, in Jesus' name we pray and for his sake. Amen. You know, last week as we looked and studied through... Second Kings, we were more in the northern kingdom when Jehu gathered all the people together and he said to them, Ahab served Baal a little and <laughs> Jehu served him much and just got finished destroying a bunch of them. But he destroyed them, deceived them, got them all in one place and all the Baal worshippers, Lord, he got rid of them as much as he could. You know, the minute we get rid of evil... For some reason, it tries to get back in, you know, the minute we get rid of evil. So the minute he's trying to purge up north, now the scene in Second Kings shift down to the southern kingdom. Because remember how the kingdom split. So when you read of Israel, Israel was one nation at one point. And then you had King Saul. And then you had Saul's son who was trying to be king after Saul. Then you had King David. Then you had um, Solomon, and then after Solomon, it was Rehoboam, and then Rehoboam, you know, did not take heed to the council, and God tore the kingdom from him and gave, you know, the other ten tribes to Jeroboam the first. And so it's the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom, they're still all Israel, but it's the southern and the northern, and it's interesting how God separates the two because the southern kingdom would be called Judah, where Jesus would come through that line. And so it's separate. And, and, but now we're going back to the southern kingdom, and we're introduced to a woman by the name of Ethaliah. Ethaliah means Jehovah is strong. She's the daughter of Ahab and Jezebel. So you can imagine her parents. 
I'm sure, and there was a political alliance of Jehoshaphat, who was the fourth king of Judah, with Ahab, king of Israel, resulted in a domestic alliance also between his son Jehoram and the southern kingdom and Ahab's daughter Athaliah, so they end up becoming one. But after their only son that they had left, Ahaziah, he... He dies, and Athaliah, who you know was queen, and instead of her moving aside, she said, "Well, look, this is my opportunity. This is the first queen that would rule the nation of Israel. The only queen, too. First and last. Her son is gone. Jehu killed her son. You know, we saw that last week in." Second um, Kings chapter nine verse twenty seven, and also mentioned in you know Second Chronicles twenty two nine, but this opened the way for this queen, this mother, to assert authority. Now think about this: her influence since her marriage with Jehoram had fostered bell worship in Judah temporarily thrust into the background the worship of the only true and only holy God, Jehovah, Yahweh of Israel. So even her marriage to this king in the southern kingdom, she had influence over what kind of worship the nation had, just like her mother. That's why we always tell guys, like, you better marry the right girl because you're either going to do ministry or that's going to be your ministry. And, boy, you won't go far with that. So she's going to have six years ruling. Six years from, some say from 841 to 835 B.C. Six years of rule, you know, with vigorous cultivation and, and, and amplified cultivation of bell worship and cultism. <laughs> this, is, this is going to rule the nation of, of the southern kingdom. However, God would raise up a godly child in the midst of all of this. So you think like, you know, evil is put like a seesaw. You know, they kind of purse it out of the northern kingdom. Now you go south and it's going down south, you know, because another bell worshiper, the queen, she says, I'll fix them. Uh, you know, I'll just take it down where, you know, everybody else will be influenced by me. You know, my son is dead now. I'll get rid of everybody else that look like good. So we're introduced to this Athaliah, Jezebel's daughter. She's going to be just as wicked as her parents, you know. And this is, look, more is caught than taught. Kids don't listen to what you tell them, but they surely watch what you do. I guarantee you that much. You know, the wicked dies suddenly. And see, six years, you know, it's a verse you should write in your Bible, write it down off somewhere. In Proverbs 28, 28, it says that the wicked arise, men hide themselves, but when they perish, the righteous increase. It's interesting. So we get to verse 1 of chapter 11. It says, when Athaliah, who was the wife of Jehoram, the son of Jehoshaphat, king of Judah, his wife, the mother of Ahaziah, saw that her son was dead because Jehu killed him. She arose, notice, and destroyed all the royal heirs. She immediately slew all of the royal blood. You know, you read 2 Chronicles 22, 10, it parallels this, and made herself queen. 
These were all her own grandsons. Isn't that crazy? She slaughtered all her own grandsons. The seed of David. So she's, it's almost like, remember when Herod tried to destroy all the children that was born? Oh, show me where this king gets so I can kill him. And that's what he was going to do. He lied said, so that I could worship him. So he really said, so that he could kill him. Joseph and Mary, they fled, remember, down to Egypt. And it's interesting that here it says that this woman, she slew all of her own grandkids. All, anybody that was in the line of the seed of David, she slew all of them. And you know how crazy that is? Because way back in Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, remember what God said that he would put enmity between your seed, Satan, and her seed, Christ. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his hill. God declared war on Satan. Satan didn't declare war on God. And so for her, this is how wicked she was, but this is how unaware she was of the scripture. It was no way in the world she could destroy all the seed of David because God made a promise with David that could never be broken. Remember in 2 Samuel chapter 7, David couldn't build a temple, but the Lord gave him a greater promise. The Lord said that when your days are fulfilled and you rest with your fathers, I will set up your seed after you who will come from your own body, your body. Most people think they're talking about Solomon. He's going past Solomon. And I will establish his kingdom. He shall build a house for my name and I will establish the throne of his kingdom Forever, and we know Solomon's kingdom wasn't forever. It was talking about Christ. King of kings, Lord of lords. So for her to come up and think she could exterminate David's seed, it was futile. <laughs> it could never happen. For unto us a child is born, for unto us a son is given. The government will be upon his shoulders. You know, everlasting father, the mighty God, prince of peace. You know, you know the spill. And this is a promise. But this mad queen... Don't make a queen mad. He's trying to take matters into her own hand. Being the daughter of Jezebel, no doubt in my mind, it was where she gets the, these traits from. To get rid of any and, and everything godly that's in her path. You ever see people like that? Anything godly they hate. And I think that it's very interesting to what, you know, lengths a person would go to to have position or to have a title. It's amazing what people may do for power and prominence. And she's one of them. And so in verse 2 it says, but, I love the but here, but Jehoshaphat, this is his aunt, um, the only surviving kid. Jehoshaphat, the daughter of King Joram, Sister of Ahaziah took Joash, he's about one and a half years old. As, you know, Ethelite just killed everybody, she took this one little boy and hit him. The son of Ahaziah and stole him away. He's the only, listen, this is real interesting because when you start studying the line of Christ, he's the only remaining seed from David's loins. So if this boy gets killed, there's no Messiah line. Isn't that something? Isn't that something? And they stole him away from among the king's sons who were being murdered. They hid him 
and his nurse in the bedroom from Ethaliah so that he was not killed. So the future of the Messiah coming through the seed of David is narrowed down to one little boy about one and a half years old. Isn't that something? And Satan knows this. He knows this. This boy would be raised by a godly couple. His aunt and you know, the priest, and you know, the high priest, Jehoiada. It says, on the other side of all this, this is Satan trying to destroy the line that the Messiah would come through, just like King Herod. They always try to destroy the line that the Messiah would come through. Did you know that? You know, I remember when Hezekiah was sick. King Hezekiah of the southern kingdom of Judah. Hezekiah was of the seed of David. But most people don't realize this. When Hezekiah was sick, he didn't have any kids. He didn't have any children, didn't have a son. And he was through that royal line that the Messiah would come through. And he got sick, and Isaiah says, you know, get your house in order, you're going to die. And by the time he got halfway out of the temple precinct, the Lord said, go back and tell him he's going to live. And God gave him 15 more years, remember? And he had a son that was the most wickedest king in all of Judah. Matter of fact, his son Manasseh was king at 12 years old. He, was, he remained king for 55 years. He would die at the age of 67. And then he would have a son, you know, and, you know, and then his grandson would be the one who would create, almost reform in the nation, Josiah. All of those kings were through the line where Christ would come through, which is remarkable because you read about the other kings on the other, Jehoiakim, Jehoahaz, you know, Jehoiachin, and so, and Zedekiah, all those other kings towards the end on the other side of Josiah, they all was wicked king, vessel kings, then they get taken into captivity, and then God raises up a governor by the name of Zerubbabel, the son of Shetial. He's from, he's in the line of Christ. Still was royalty, and God, you know, you read those genealogies there, bless you, you know. To say, wow, Christ was determined to come into this world, born of a woman in the fullness of time, God sent forth his son. But look all the things he went through. This woman exterminated every child. Doesn't say how many, it was a whole bunch. It says, so he was hidden, meaning Joash, with her in the house of the Lord for six years. While Athaliah reigned over the land, could you imagine? So the Lord can preserve his own. The Lord, you know, he redeems the soul of his servants, and none of those who trust in him shall be condemned. He, he can be trusted. However, this woman was completely out of the will of God. No foreign or pagan should have reigned over Israel. She's not a Jew. Remember that. She's Phoenician. She's not a Jew. She may be half Jew, but she's not fully Jewish. She's half a nation. And she shouldn't have ruled over Israel at all. And it says in verse 4, In the seventh year Jehoiada sent and brought the captains of hundreds and of the bodyguards and the escorts and brought them into the house of the Lord to him. And he made a covenant with them and took an oath from them in the house of the Lord and showed them the king's son. Then he commanded them, saying, That is what you shall do. 
One third of you who come on duty on the Sabbath shall be keeping watch over the king's house. One third shall be at the gate of Shur. One third at the gate of behind the escorts. You shall keep the watch of the house, lest it be broken down. The two contingents of you who um, go off duty on the Sabbath shall keep the watch of the house of the Lord for the king. But you shall surround the king on all sides. This little boy, this baby, every man with his weapons in his hand. And whoever comes within range, let him be put to death. You are to be with the king as he goes out and as he comes in. God's protecting, look, the seed of David, the lion of the Messiah. This is God, God's protection. So the captains of the hundreds did according to all that Jehoiada the priest commanded. Each of them took his men who were to be on duty on the Sabbath with those who were going off duty on the Sabbath and came to Jehoiada the priest. And the priest gave the captains of hundreds the spears, I like this, and shields, which had belonged to King David. This is remarkable. It's a remarkable place, you know, in the right place because weapon, the weaponry of David was preserved too. You know, how much more would God's word be preserved if the weaponry was preserved? <laughs> you know, how much, you know, if the weaponry was preserved, you know God's word never returns void. Is that something? The promised seed, Joash looking past him to Christ that were in the temple of the Lord. Now, Flavius Josephus, who's a Jewish historian, states that for fear of creating suspicion, they came unarmed. And Jehoiada, having opened the arsenal in the temple, which David had prepared, he divided among the captains, priests, and the Levites, the spears, arrows, quivers, and all the kinds of weapons which he found there. So they, when they came to him, they couldn't come armed. They had to come get weapons from him. Because they were, you, you was protecting the sea. You didn't trust nobody. Imagine this. This little boy, he don't know what's going on. He don't know. He's going to be the youngest king in Israel. He doesn't know what's going on. Verse 11 says, Then the escort stood, every man with his weapons in his hand, all around the king from the right side of the temple to the left side of the temple, by the altar and the house, and he brought out the king's son. This is the king's son. Put the crown on him. Look, it's a verse in the Psalms that I love. When the psalmist wrote in Psalm 21.3, he writes that, For you meet him with the blessings of goodness. You set a crown of pure gold upon his head. I love that. And he says, and he brought out the king's son, put the crown on him, and gave him. What is the first thing he gave him? It wasn't a worship song. It wasn't some fancy thought-out prayer. He gave him the testimony. The testimony, this, the Torah, copy of the law, it was given to him. This seven-year-old king. He gave him the word of God. Look, if you got children, if they four or five, I don't care, give them the word of God. Because that'll last forever. You can leave them houses, cars, bank accounts, annuities, portfolios, part of your 401k, part of your full 3B, and they can be beneficiaries to this and that. 
But if they don't have the word of God, it won't amount to much. And gave him the testimony. They made him king and anointed him. Notice, and they clapped their hands and said, long live the king. This is the eighth king of Judah. He's only seven years old. He's really young. I mean, Josiah was eight years old. He became king. Manasseh was 12. So he's really young. Really young. Imagine being the king at seven. What do you tell people to do? I don't know. <laughs> Can you get my PlayStation, please? <laughs> what do you do? Seven years old being king. Being king. All you want is pizza and, you know, chicken strips from Chick-fil-A or something. It says, now when Athaliah heard the noise of the escorts and the people, she came to the people in the temple. When she looked, there was the king standing by a pillar, according to custom, and the leaders and the trumpeters were by the king. All the people of the land were rejoicing and blowing trumpets. So Athaliah tore her clothes and cried out, treason, treason. <laughs> And Jehoiada the priest commanded the captains of the hundreds, the officers of the army, and said to them, Take her outside under guard, and slay with the sword whoever follows her. For the priest said, Do not let her be killed in the house of the Lord. Isn't that something? Now this is a fulfillment of the law, because Ethelai slain a great number of small children. The law says, Thou should not kill. It was premeditated murder. Thou should not kill. Kill in Exodus 20, verse 13, which was, a, which was a crime punishable by death. By death. So they seized her. Could you imagine her? Like a mom, get off me. You better get out. You know, probably bleeping all over the place. Bleep, bleep, bleep. You better get, you know. They seized her. And she went by the way of the horse's entrance into the king's house. And they killed her. That's what they should have did. You know, the light of the righteous rejoice, but the lamp of the wicked is put out in Proverbs 13.9. And it says, then Jehoiada made a covenant between the Lord, the king, and the people that they should be the Lord's people. We should all long to be the Lord's people. Covenant people. Covenant people. Because, look, we don't live like covenant people. We talked about that Monday night in here when it was in Genesis 17, you know, 15, rather. And, and thinking about being covenant people. We are covenant people. <laughs> you know, it's the verse we read the other night. I'll read it again. I think it's a good verse. And I was like, man, you know, we don't think we covenant people sometimes because we don't live like covenant people. And so we think that we're not covenant people. But the writer of Hebrews says, Now may the God of peace who brought up our Lord Jesus from the dead, that great shepherd of the sheep, through the blood of the everlasting covenant, Make you complete in every good work to do his will, working in you what is well-pleasing in his sight. Through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. God always keeps his covenant. They walked away from God. This wicked woman was ruling, everybody worshiping Baal and all kinds of stuff going on. Everybody doing, was right in their own eyes, but doing evil in the sight of the Lord. And it says that, and it says, and all the people of the land, it's like a revival. So the king and the people, they, that they should be, with, be the Lord's people, and also between the king and the people, in verse 18, and all the people of the land, and these were the common people of the land, everyday working people, went to the temple of Baal, and tore it down. 
They thoroughly broke in pieces its altars and images and killed Matan. His name Matan means Matan or Gif, the priest of Baal, before the altars. Plural is more than one altar. Altars. And the priests appointed offices over the house of the Lord. It's interesting. They come in all the comments, but they're ripping down everything that belongs to Baal. Yeah, this is good. Then he took the captives of hundreds, the bodyguards, the escorts, and all the people of the land, and they brought the king. This is Joash. He's going to be called Jehoash, and Joash is the same person. Jehoash and Joash. Brought Joash from the house of the Lord, and they went by the way of the gate of the escorts to the king's house. Then he sat on the throne of the king, this seven-year-old. So all the people of the land rejoiced, notice, and the city was quiet, for they had slain Athaliah with the sword in the king's house. And notice that they changed his name from Joash to Jehoash. I'm just going to say Joash, so I'm not going to say Jehoash. Joash, all right? So y'all can get it. Joash. Pretty popular name in the Bible, too. About eight people named jo Jehoash. Eight people. Gideon's father, remember in um, Judges 6, 11, name was Joash. So Jehoash was seven years old when he became king. This is a young king. But he's mentored by two godly people. He's going to be mentored by godly people who knew the word of God and the ways of God. The priest Jehoiada and his wife. What grace. God put you in place. Look, God puts you around good godly people. That's the best place to be. I don't care what anybody say. To be around godly mentors and people in your life that loves the Lord, that knows the Lord. That, you know, I still try to be around my pastor as much as I can. Because I, I like to be around godly people. And I believe he's a godly man. And, and, you know, Jerry, these men I've been around. You know, I like being around godly people because you learn so much about God. You learn so much about his ways, his voice. And Jehoiada, you know, Second Chronicles tells us that Jehoiada grew old and was full of days and he died. He was 130 years old when he died. He lived to be 130 years old. Is that something? 130 years old. Joash will be king for 40 years. He become king at seven, 40 years. He'll die at young at 47. He'll get murdered at 47. So Jehoiada lived to see all the wickedness in the land prior to this. He, he saw the ministry of Elijah, the ministry of Elijah. He saw the rise and fall of Ahab and Jezebel. He saw Jehu and his kingship and many other remarkable things that he would have known that happened within the nation of Israel. And note, we learned some valuable lessons regarding it's not how we start, but it's how we finish. It's not how you start. Joash will start well. He'll repair the house of God, yet he fails miserably preparing his own heart to live wholly in the sight of God. He's got somebody fixing, the, the, you know, the shafts in the building and they putting, you know, the things on the windowsills and they help put the carpet down in the house of God and don't even have God in their heart. When I go to church, man, I help them with the toilets, man. I put the toilets in, man. I did all the plumbing work there. I did all the electrical work, man. Man, yeah, praise the Lord, man. You go to church on Sundays, 
No, I don't really go to church. I cast lots. I don't go to church. You read your Bible? No, I don't really read no Bible. Why? Why I read the Bible? I help them build the stuff, you know. People think what they do is more important than their communion with God. Most people are known by what they do. You don't. You walk up to somebody and say, "Hey, how you doing?" Or what church you go to? Yeah. They're not going to say, "And hey, you know what? My 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 ministry is. I just I'm on my knees. I'm on my knees. I'm an intercessor for the Lord." I love reading this Bible. That's what I love doing. Most people don't say that. They say, well, I'm an usher. I'm on a worship team. I, you know, I work with the kids. Or I you know, work with the parking ministry. Or you know, I work with the, you know, the greeting ministry or, you know, or, or something else. And here, that's when a person really starts losing their grips on what it means to be a believer. Sitting at Jesus' feet. You know, how was it for this king to repair the house of God, yet turn away from God? How was it? And there are those people who helped start ministries and even churches, but are now living in apostasy, separate from God. How sad is that? How sad is that? It's so important to know that and pinpoint the decline of Joash's spiritual journey. And we'll know that. Well, you know, we need to finish well. If you do anything in your life, Look, finish well. That's what you got to do. Finish well. Finish well. Don't assume that you're going to finish well. Remember what Paul told Timothy? He was in that Mammothine dungeon when he wrote to Timothy, 2 Timothy. Paul told Timothy, look, let me tell you something, Timothy. I fought a good fight. I finished the race. I've kept the faith. Finally, there is later for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give to me on that day. And not only to me, but also to all who love his appearing. You know you're not living right if you don't want him to come back. You know that. If Jesus came back, you'd be, Lord, please don't come back. Now I'm like, Lord, come, please, Lord. Come quickly, Maranatha. Come, Lord, come. You know, you know you're living not right when you say, Lord, come. You know you're not living right when you say, don't come. We need to finish well. Now look at verse 1 in chapter 12. In the seventh year of Jehu, Joash became king, and he reigned 40 years in Jerusalem. His mother's name was Zabiah, which, which means gazelle of Beersheba, Joash did what was right in the sight of the Lord. But notice the clause in this verse, real important verse here. He did right in the sight of the Lord all the days in which Jehoiada the priest instructed him. Isn't that something? He did right in the sight of the Lord. Sounds good until we read the other portion of the verse. All the days in which Jehoiada the priest instructed him. Because there are those who can and will do right in the sight of the Lord but not with a loyal heart to the Lord. Not a loyal heart to the Lord. There are some people who cannot be trusted alone. they super spiritual. They meet a pastor or something. they like super spiritual. They say, praise the Lord, pastor. Hallelujah. Yeah, that's what I'm talking about. Yeah, I'm reading all the time, pastor. Reading the Bible all the time. And then get right in their car. This is how you do it. <laughs> you know, like, well, you know <laughs> well, really, huh? <laughs> sure. God bless you. And it's the minute they get away from anything spiritual, holy, 
they got a whole, whole, whole repertoire of things that they put on the table that has nothing to do with God. Has nothing to do with God. And this is how one person can determine when a person has their own heart bent truly towards God without anybody being around. That's integrity. That's who you are when nobody's watching. Do you read your Bible when nobody's watching? Or do you read your Bible on Wednesdays? And they say, well, I read it on Sundays. When I get to church, I read my Bible. You know, isn't that sad? Some people say, I, they pull their Bible out on Wednesday night. And all week long, it's just, you got to nothing but dust flow off of it. So many times people in the body of Christ try to live off the spiritual oblige of another man's walk. And, and not their own. So many um, live the Christian life by the affiliation and association with other godly people. But not their own sanctification and consecration. And this is the type of king that Joash was. Not his own sanctification, not his own consecration. It's almost like John Mark. Remember when John Mark went on that mission trip? And, and people forget all about it in the book of Acts. He goes on a mission trip with his cousin Barney, Barnabas. And then when they get to Pamphylia, because they didn't have Jerusalem, you know, you know Dunkin' Donuts, they didn't have Jerusalem Chick-fil-A's there. John Mark woke up one day and said, I'm out of here. Left them in Pamphylia. Barnabas and Paul fell out of fellowship because of somebody like John Mark. John Mark didn't come because he was called. He came by affiliation and association. Because if he came and he was called, he would have stayed. Some people, they, they, only, they, only, they only go with affiliation, not sanctification and consecration. That their spiritual walk is predicated on the person that they walk with. And when that other person is moved out of the way, they don't have a walk with the Lord. They don't have a walk with the Lord. Our parents, our pastors, our siblings, our friends can and won't take our place when we stand before God Almighty. They will not take our place. They can't take our place. You know, Romans 14, 12, it always, you know, it always got my attention when it says that each of us shall give account of himself to God. Isn't that something when we stand before the Lord, the beamer seat, we can't bring our twin sister there? Or what somebody might be thinking, you know, I know y'all might be thinking, because I know you, y'all pretty smart people. But what about Siamese twins, you know? And God has separated them too. <laughs> Whatever the doctors can do, God will do it. Well, the two Siamese twins died together, yeah, but they won't stand before the Lord together. I know how y'all think. Oh, y'all might not have thought it, but somebody would have asked me that afterwards. Just in case. Verse 3 says, but the high places were taken, were not taken away. He, he, see, he, follow, he, was, he was following the Lord. It's interesting that it says that he did what was right in the sight of the Lord all the days of Jehoiada, the priest, you know, when, when the priest instructed him. But the high places were not taken away. The people still sacrificed and burned incense on the high places. So these high places were not places of worship ascribed by God. Jerusalem was the place of worship, not on some mountain or some hill. 
People do this today. You know that? People do the same thing today. They say that, oh, I can worship at home. I don't need to come to no church and worship among no people. I don't have to, well, I need to come to, I don't, I could worship at home. We ain't talking about some worship. They coming down there wasting my gas money coming all down to some old church. I ain't going today. Look, I, well, look, I got gas money and this and that. I could worship at home. No, you can't worship at home. Because you know what people think worship is? Most people, if you describe them, what is worship? You know what they would say? That is music. That's what everybody equate worship to. Just music. Well, Paul says, look, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto God, which is reasonable service. And be ye not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind, that ye may prove what is that good and, 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 and acceptable and perfect will of God. That's your worship, serving the Lord, too. Or giving unto the Lord. Or, you know, we think worship, we look at worship as in our culture, we worship the worship. That's what we do. Can't get started unless I got some music or something, you know. This is worship the Lord in the beauty of holiness. In Psalm 29, verse 2, worship him in the beauty of holiness. With spiritual hymns and melodies in our heart to the Lord. And so some people say, well, you know, I can wear, I don't look, you don't tell me I don't need to come to no church. Well, that's not Bible. That is not Bible. And you know, when COVID hit and churches was closed down, God knows I was here every Sunday. I didn't care if it was an empty audience. I was here behind this podium every single Sunday. That's where I was at, right here. Because church could never be closed down. You understand that? We are the church. And when we gather, two or three are gathered, he says, I am in the midst with two or three gathered in my name. I am in the midst. So don't tell me about some I don't need to be at church. I'm saying you don't know your Bible if you think that. The right of Hebrews said this is interesting what the right of Hebrews says. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope. He says, without wavering. For he who promises faithful, and let us consider one another. That's why you want to gather together. In order to stir up love and good works, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together, as is the manner of some. That's the other bad side of that prophecy. But exhorting one another, and so much the more as we see the day approaching. So don't tell me you could just not come to church and be a good Christian. It ain't going to happen. It's like a fish outside of water. He's still a fish, but he's sure not a good one. And some people, they build another place of worship. They build another place of worship. They make their own place of worship. I can worship wherever I want to worship. Everybody who does that, you know what ends up happening to, to that person? They end up being filled with pride. They end up being, they hate any kind of authority. They don't like being a no authority. We live in a world today, people don't like authority. <laughs> You've got to be kidding me. What do I want authority for? I can do what I want to do. That's not how the Bible is set up. And, and I think that we live in a world today that, you know, there's a walk with Christ. When a person is not in fellowship around other believers, it becomes deformed. It's a deformity and pride would take the place of humility and peace would take the place of confusion. 
All the other way around, confusion would take the place of peace. That's what happened. And simplicity of heart would be thrown out the window. Church is simple. You know how y'all gather together. I hear y'all laughing back there all the time. People in this church love laughing. Two things we like, laughing and eating. That's two things in this church. Like, we, like la we love laughter and we love eating together, which is a beautiful thing. Look, in, in, in Acts 2, 47, it says they were praising God and having favor with the people. And the Lord added to the church daily those who were um, being saved. You know, the church is like a pillar. You know, it's the, they continue steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine, fellowship, breaking the bread. That's biblical. And prayer. We do that every Sunday. We do that every Sunday. We have a prayer meeting on Sunday evenings. We eat between service every Sunday. We, we continue. We go through the Bible verse by verse. We have fellowship afterwards. You know, we talk about common things. That's the Bible. That is the church. All the other things are ancillary things that come from, you know, like they birth from the word of God and teaching the women's conference, the men's conferences, and this and that. That's birth from the main thing. The main thing is that we come together. And not create our own worship. But you know, a lot of people do. They create their own worship. They, they go to the high places. And they, he didn't take them away, um, Joash. Verse 4, and Joash said to the priest, all the money of the dedicated gifts that are brought into the house of the Lord, each man's census money, each man's assessment money, and all the money that a man purposes in his heart. Now that's talking about um, a free will offering that a man purposes in his heart here to bring into the house of the Lord. Because remember when Paul wrote that, so let each one give as he purposes in his heart, not grudgingly or of necessity, but God loves a cheerful giver. So he's talking about somebody who has a, a, a given out of a free will heart, a free will offering. Verse 5, let the priests take it themselves each from his constituency, and let them repair the damages of the temple wherever any dilapidation is found, breach, in other words, now as it was by the 23rd year of King Joash. Because he reigned for 40 years from 835 B.C. to, 8 to 796 B.C. that the priests had repaired the damages of the temple. So the king called Jehoiada the priest and the other priests and said to them, why have you not repaired the damages of the temple? Now apparently through them having this money, nothing was getting done in regards to the temple, the damages and so forth. So, you know, sounds like just like contractors. Now you, they always say, unfront, you always say this slogan, upfront pay, you can always count on a long delay. Yeah, I can't do that. You pay somebody up front, you're going you're gonna to wait a long time to get the job done. People work much harder when you owe money. So don't, don't pay them up front. I've learned that lesson a long time ago. It's now, therefore, do not take more money from the constituency, but deliver it from repairing, for repairing the damages of the temple. And the priests agreed that they would neither receive more money from the people nor repair the damages of the temple. Then Jehoiada the priest took a chest, bore a hole in its lid. We do that. You got that little thing on it. You put a hole in the lid. And set it beside the altar on the right side as one comes into the house of the Lord. 
And the priests who kept the door put there all the money brought into the house of the Lord. So it was whenever they saw that there was much money in the chest that the king's scribe, this is one of the king's men who works directly with the king. And the high priest came up and put it in bags and counted the money that was found in the house of the Lord. You know, we do that here. Every church should do that. It says, then the money, then, then they gave the money, which had been apportioned into the hands of those who did the work. Evidently, they cut out the middleman here, who had the oversight of the house of the Lord, and they paid it out to the carpenters and builders who worked on the house of the Lord, and the masons and stonecutters, and for buying timber and hewn stones to repair the damage of the house of the Lord, and for all that was paid out, of the, out to repair the temple. However, there were, there were not made for the house of the Lord basins of silver, trimmings, sparkling, I mean, sprinkling bowls, trumpets, any articles of gold or articles of silver from the money brought into the house of the Lord. So it looks like they didn't have enough money to finance the holy vessels of the temple. But they gave that to the workmen, and they repaired the house of the Lord with it. Moreover, they did not require an account for the men into whose hand they delivered the money to be paid the workmen, for they dealt faithfully. So they gave them money to do the work, and they weren't asking them, or they didn't have to let them know. When they, were, you know they were accountable men, and men that you could trust. The money from the trespass offering and the money from the sin offerings was not brought into the house of the Lord, and this is why. It belonged to the priests. It belonged to the priests. Now, at this point, 2 Chronicles 24 gives us a better snapshot. You don't have to turn to it. I'll read it for you. 2 Chronicles, you go home and read it. Chapter 24, verse 15 through 22. But I'll read it for you. It says, But Jehoiada grew old, and was full of days, and he died. He was 130 years old when he died, and they buried him in the city of David among the kings, because he had done good in Israel, both toward God and his house. Now and after the death of Jehoiada, the leaders of Judah came and bowed down to the king, and the king listened to them. Therefore they left the house of the Lord God of their fathers and served wooden images and idols. And wrath came upon Judah and Jerusalem because of their trespass. Yet he sent prophets to them to bring them back to the Lord, and they testified against them, but they would not listen. Then the Spirit of God came upon Zechariah, the son of Jehoiada, the priest, who stood above the people and said to them, Thus says the Lord, now this is Jehoiada who died, this is his son named Zechariah. He says, Thus says the Lord, why do you transgress the commandments of the Lord so that you cannot prosper? Because you have forsaken the Lord, he also has forsaken you. So they conspired against him, and at the command of the king, they stoned him with stones in the court of the Lord of the, the house of the Lord. Thus Joash the king did not remember the kindness which Jehoiada, his father, had done to him, but killed his son. As he died, he said, Lord, look on it and repay. He didn't die and say, Lord, forgive them for what they know not do. He said, Lord, get them back. That's something. And this is where we get to the point in verse 17 of this chapter. Because in between it, the king Joash, Jehoiada was so good to him, he ends up killing his son. Isn't that something? Isn't that something how you could be good to somebody's child and their child grow up and 
you know, and then, you know, when their father died, you know, you was good to their father. When the child get old, they come and do something to you. Isn't that crazy? It's almost just like Manasseh with Isaiah. Isaiah and Hezekiah were contemporary, contemporaries. You know, they were friends. They prayed together. And it says that Manasseh had Isaiah's son into. Isn't something? Verse 17, here we go. Haziel, king of Syria, went up and fought against Gath and took it. And Haziel set his face to go up to Jerusalem. And Joash, king of Judah, took all the sacred things that his father, Jehoshaphat, and Jehoram, and Ahaziah, kings of Judah, had dedicated, and his own sacred things, and all the gold found in the treasuries in the house of the Lord, and in all the king's house, and sent them to Haziel, king of Syria, then he went away from Jerusalem. He's going to take everything that your father, grandfather, great-grandfather, you, you know, and take all the things they sweat and blood for, and you're going to give it to some foreign king because you're afraid of him. Because the wicked flee when no one's chasing. Because the righteous is bold as a lion, Proverbs 28.1. But the wicked flee when no one pursues him. And he's not living right. That's why he's so fearful. Look, the fear of man is a sneer. It says, now the rest of the acts of Joash and all that he did, are they not written in the book of the Chronicles? Yes, they are. And we read 2 Chronicles chapters 23 and 24 of the kings of Judah. Now, so you don't get confused. When you read 1 Kings, 2 Kings, when you read 1 Chronicles, 2 Chronicles, the difference is Chronicles focus more on the kings of Judah. And you see the first seven chapters in 1 Chronicles is all genealogies. <laughs> you read that and you say, this one, he begot this one. You know. But really Chronicles is different in the sense that it focuses more on the kings of Judah. The book of Kings focuses on more on the kings of the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom. Most people believe that Jeremiah wrote Kings. Most scholars believe that Ezra wrote Chronicles because when you read Chronicles, the last chapter, the last verse in Chronicles, and you read Ezra chapter 1 through 3, is basically identical. So that's why most scholars believe that Ezra wrote First and Second Chronicles. And it wouldn't make sense because he starts off with genealogy because he was post-exilic in a sense. And then, you know, of course, we believe that Jeremiah wrote First Kings because you read Jeremiah, some portions of Jeremiah, you read, you know, and Second Kings, when you read Second Kings 20, you know, 1, 22, and so forth, you see the correlation in a sense to, to the book of um, Jeremiah, you know. So just a little bit of information for free. It says, and his servants arose and formed a conspiracy. This is um, Joash's servants arose and killed Joash in the house of Milo, Milo, which means mound, which goes down to Scylla, it means exalting. And notice, this is interesting. For um, Jazakar, Jazakar, which means Jehovah remembers, he's also known as Zabad in 2 Chronicles 24, 26. He's the son of Ammonitus. So when you see these names, the son of Shemiath, that's a woman because it's Ammonitus, when you see Ammonitus and Mobitus, the E-S-S is describing a woman. A Mobite is a man, a Mobitus is usually a woman. 
So that's his mother name. And Jehoshabad, this is a guy named Jehoshabad, means Jehovah endows, the son of Shomer, also called um, Shimrith in 2 Chronicles 24, 26. It means keeper or preserver, was a Mobitus. This is his mother. So these two guys come together. His servants struck him. They killed Joash. He was already wounded, if you remember. He got wounded by, um, in the battle with the Syrian, Syrians. He died, so he died, and they buried him with his fathers in the city of David. Then Amaziah, his son, reigned in his place. Now listen to this so you can get this point. I think it's a big point. I think it makes a lot of sense for all of us. You have to finish this race well. You have to finish well, like you have to finish well. You know, you, you, look, our walk with Christ is not predicated on who's watching. I'm going to be super good today because such and such is walking by. Or, or, you know, I've seen even guys who teach the Bible that I'm going to study extra hard because I'm going to be at this place or that place. I study the same time and the same amount of time as much as I'm teaching to if Jesus was in the audience. I don't say, well, I'm going to study a little bit harder because I'm preaching at this church. or this maybe a different study, but not harder. And you see people do that. They just say, oh, well, I'm going to be good on my best behavior because I'm being around this person. Or well, I'm going to act this way around it. You know how you, your integrity is tested by who are you? Who are you? You know, who are you? Who are you when, it all, when the days goes down when nobody's watching you? Well, somebody's watching you. We're just not always aware that he's watching. Who are you for real? Joash, look, he was good. Jehoiada was teaching him, like, this is how you do this. This is how you do this, man. You can do this. You can do this. He repaired the temple. He did some good stuff. But his heart wasn't changed. It's like people coming to the church, but the church is not in them. They're not converted. They think it's by their works or some good stuff. They, I've been at 12 Bible studies this week. Well, you ain't do none of it. So what you been there for? Listen, you know, you, you know you, and you be like, what in the world are you listening to? You just cursed out everybody on the street. I was at the Bible study last night. Well, what you was doing at the Bible study? Bible study is not for information. It's for application. Do you take the information to apply it and make application? You don't just get the information saying, man, it's really good to hear about Jehoiada. Well, we just like him. Who are you talking about? Good to hear about Jehoiada. Or, or Joash. We can be just like any of these Bible people we read about. You know why? Because the Bible writes about what? Human beings. And we are all human beings sitting here tonight. And you know, we all have the propensity to do good stuff in the beginning. You ever get a job, you say, oh, the Lord gave me a job. He blessed me with a job. He praised the Lord. Don't tell me you got a good job and the Lord gave it to you. Do not come back to me later on and say, I can't stand it. Because you said the Lord gave it to you. People did it all the time. And the Lord just blessed me with a brand new job. Hallelujah, this is wonderful. And then later on, they like... This is the day that the Lord has made, you know, when you first hear him. Then by the end of the week, does he curse it be the day that I'm born, you know? People do that all the time. 
Look, to start off good, you have to endure stuff to finish good. You know that? Sanctification is not electives. It's mandatory courses that God takes us through. Isn't that something? And I'm sure if you look at the life of Joash, you know what I thought happened to him as you start looking at his life over and over again? You know what I think happened to him? He really, really just could not ever grab hold of God. He grabbed hold of some things about God, but he never grabbed hold of God. You know, it's people like that. They grab hold, like, I'm, I'm, I'm memorizing the scriptures now. I got this. I wrote this down. I did this. But they're not going to do nothing because they go right back to the same person. Go to work. Church. Praise the Lord, sister. They get to work. Yeah, you don't you bleep, bleep. Don't you tell me. Bleep, bleep. Hold it. Aren't you a Christian? Watch. I thought you go to the church. Don't say Calvary Chapel. I thought you went to the church. You know. That's all we do. You know what? I don't know if you ever looked at this show called To Tell the Truth. But every now and then you should look in the mirror and say, will the real me stand up? Will the real you stand up? Will the real you stand up? And if God is watching, will the real you stand up? And you know what that does? It makes you know how fake you are how hypocritical you can be, how much measures of duplicity you struggle with, how much, not you, all of us, it makes you look at yourself and say, Lord, I need thee every single hour. Because it's a traitor within my heart, and one day I want to pray for the person, and the next day I want to blow up the post office, Lord, help me, Lord. It's in all of us is in all of us. This is being not conformed. I am conformed every chance I get because that's part of my nature. But be ye filled. That's what we need to be. Be filled. Be filled. Not fake Christianese, but be ye filled. And that's when the Lord comes in, meets you right where you're at. Brokenhearted and all, say, Lord, here I am, Lord. Speak, Lord. I know I'm messed up. I know it. And I can imagine this man, he never thought he was messed up. Imagine being seven years old, being the king, and he probably only seen all these other things that was good. And the minute Jehoiada died, he says, man, I'm glad this guy's gone, man. Shoot, way too, you know, somebody way too hard on us. You know, you got teenage kids. We can't do nothing. You know what they're really saying? You won't let me sin in peace. That's what they mean. Because we as teenagers, that we, that's what we say. Can't do nothing. And my mom was so crazy, and we tried to go to the parties. I'm talking about like eighth graders, you know, we 13 trying to get to the parties. She would wait on the corner like with a hood on. You didn't even see like a, you didn't see it, a hood on with a back turn. Soon you walk by, whoo, whoo, you know, she was crazy. She's going to make us live right. Because you grew up in homes, if you wasn't saved, you pretended like you were. I guarantee you that much. Because <laughs> they made the rules where you was either <laughs> you either knew you was a sinner that couldn't sin, or when you got out the house you sinned and you knew it was wrong. That's how they made the rules. And that's why a lot of that generation came to Christ. Because it was a standard. Amen? 
Let's stand up as we pray. Father, thank you, Lord, for your word tonight. Thank you for your grace. Thank you for these, all these people here that come out to hear your word week after week. What a blessing. What a blessing, Lord. That we realize, Lord, we're not what we want to be, but we're not what, what we used to be yet, but we're not yet what we're going to be neither. And so, Lord, make us more like Christ, Lord. Let us be in a place where we can just give it all up to you, Lord, everything we have. So, Lord, we love you, Lord. Change us from the inside out that the world could see that we change and the world would know that we are your disciples because of our love one for another, Lord. Not because of our religious activity, but because of our love one for another. So, Lord, keep us in this hour. Bless us. We pray in your great name, Jesus, we pray. Amen. Amen. Let's give the Lord a big hand tonight if you love Jesus. We love you, Lord. Thank you.